The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Rebecca Sofer, one of Spirituality and Health Magazine's 10 most important emerging spiritual leaders of our time. In her 30s, Rebecca found herself in tragedy. Her mom died in a car accident when she turned 30, and her father had a fatal heart attack four years later. Her response to her grief was the creation of something called Modern Loss, an online conversation about death, loss, and grief that she co-founded with Gabrielle Brickner, or Berkner, let me get her name right, whose mom and dad were murdered in a home invasion. Together, Rebecca and Gabrielle co-wrote Modern Loss, Candid Conversations About Grief, Beginners Welcome. And the book was published earlier this year. A profile of Rebecca appears in the November-December issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. So, Rebecca Sofer, thanks for being with us on Essential Conversations. Thank you so much for having me, Rami. I'm flattered to be here. Well, I'm looking forward to the conversation. I have not experienced anything close to what you've gone through. My, my dad died a couple of years ago, but he was 89. So it's not the same, not the same at all. So losses. My mom always used to say, "Losses, losses, loss." Well, maybe, yeah. I mean, I you know, I I, I don't know. I, I I assume anyway that that when you have a parent die from, I mean, no one dies literally from old age, but when you have a parent die in old age, I mean, that's very different than a a sudden death or a you know death by by car accident. So, so let's let's. Use that though. What what fascinates me is how you use that to do this amazing work, both online and in this new book. So, this grew out. All all this work is is grown out of your personal experience of loss. Now, I gave the audience a quick you know hit on that, but how did what you experienced in your thirties lead you to the creation of modern loss? Yeah. So as you mentioned. And um, in the intro, I was 30. I, I had recently graduated from, 
from journalism school in Columbia. I got my master's there. I was working in daily television. I was a producer for the Colbert Report here in New York City, where I'm speaking to you from. And I had goals. <laughs> you know, I wanted to be a producer and I wanted to write thoughtful political satire pieces and, you know, change the world in a very specific way way um somewhat journalistically i guess and i i guess that i kind of ended up doing that but in a way that was much different from what i thought i would be doing like how i thought i would be doing it um and i was 30 years old i just turned 30 and i was on a family camping trip with my parents uh, up in the adirondacks which is a couple hours north of where i lived and at the end of the trip um we you know drove back to new york city my parents dropped me off we were in a packed car um, my parents came up to say goodbye and then they went back on their way they headed south i'm from philadelphia so they were going back to philly and after saying goodbye my to my parents about I don't know, less than an hour later, I got a phone call that there had been an awful accident on the New Jersey Turnpike, and I really needed to get to a hospital in the middle of Jersey. Um, so that was my entry point into the world of grief, because as soon as I got to that hospital, I learned what I had known immediately when I got that call, which is that my mom had not survived, and, and she hadn't. Um, she was killed in, in that accident and my dad was with her and he survived. Um, however, a few years after that, he died from a heart attack. So between the ages of 30 and 34, I lost both my parents. I'm an only child. Uh, so this was an exceedingly isolating experience for me. Um, you know, I have a lot of friends. I had a lot of great coworkers. I had a great life, but it was so lonely. I mean, grieving is lonely. It's a lonely, lonely thing. And I think, you know, in my case, not really having siblings to work through this with or remember with and having a very small family, um, it was just kind of exponentially uh, maybe more challenging for me than it might have been. Who knows for someone else? I will not know. I only know my own perspective. Um, but hearkening back to what you said about you know, it's maybe not the same losing someone when you're 30 as to losing someone when you're a bit older and, and that person has, is dying in old age. Um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't ready for my mom to be not alive. <laughs> she was very much alive. She was perfectly healthy. She had a lot of life that she was supposed to live. At least I thought she, she had. Um, she just was gone from one second to the next. And I found myself as a a person who was focused on building up her life because I was working full time. I, you know, hadn't found my life partner yet. I hadn't even gotten my dog yet. You know, I had a lot of milestones that I wanted to hit. And all of a sudden I had to try and hit them while also navigating every single moment of the day. The fact that I had lost one and then two of the most important people in my life. And that was a very weird Space to live in. Um, and so Modern Loss kind of came out of, you know, in part. And of course, like I launched the site with Gabby, as you mentioned, Gabby Berkner. Um, we became close friends because we bonded over this experience. And so from that came Modern Loss. Well, let, me, let me ask you a question, which you, you know, you can choose not to answer it. But I mean, I, my experience with loss and grief, much more than personal, was professional. I was 20 years as a congregational rabbi. You deal with a lot of people who go through these different things. Some of them, like in my case, it's sort of expected, and others, uh, like yours, it's sudden and, and extremely tragic. 
what was your experience with coworkers and friends? Did they, I mean, sometimes I, I, I mean, I, when I would watch what people would do, they would sort of, oh, what a, that's horrible. And then they would disappear, you know, because they, they didn't want to think about it. They didn't want to deal with it. They didn't know how to deal with it. So other than, than saying, oh, I'm sorry, you have my condolences, you, you know, it's like saying my, my thoughts and prayers are with you. I mean, it's a meaningless statement. So what, what did you experience? Were people, by and large, engaging with you around this or they were um, hiding? Yeah, well, it's a good question because I think that our culture is really not fully adept at broaching this topic. I think that, you know, people don't like talking about, they don't like thinking about the fact that they're not going to be alive forever. And so I think by extension, they don't like thinking about the experience of grief, which might force them to not only consider their own mortality, but also the fact that, you know, they might have to think about what it might be like to go through their lives without someone who means a lot to them. So, you know, we also just aren't good at talking about it. We're not good at offering words of comfort um, sometimes that aren't full of platitudes or, you know, I know that you're, you know, you like congregations, but, you know, I think sometimes people revert to, you know, maybe religion or, or certain tenets that not everybody is on board with, you know, sometimes sure. you really need someone to sit with you in your pain. And it's a very simple thing. Like you don't need to hear a quote from a scripture or like, you know, some sort of psychological fact, like therapeutic fact. Sometimes you just need to hear, oh my God, like it's awful what happened. And just make it clear that you're there. You're, you're not going to be scared off by the fact that someone has been dealt a grief hand that you know you're not going to pretend you're not going to act like it's contagious and i think that sometimes um people do unfortunately my i have i have a lot of amazing friends but when my mom died um not a lot of them had firsthand experience with what i was going through and it, it's not their fault but they really didn't know what to do with me for the most part yeah came through in so many ways so many ways i mean i believe in the inherent good of humankind um but it's really not their fault. It's just that we don't have this vocabulary um, in our culture. And especially at age 30, you really don't. And of course, right. like by extension, I was surrounded by coworkers um, who I, they just had, they had a job to do and a daily job. We were in daily production. So it was really hard to take moments and say, hey, how are you? Let's explore how you're feeling. There just wasn't a lot of room for that. But I will say that, you know, a bunch of my coworkers showed up at my mom's funeral 99 miles from the TV studio in a rented van. So people really did make the effort. It's just that I think that sometimes people don't realize that loss is a forever thing. And it goes way beyond just the funeral or the shiva, you know, or that first year. It, it's forever. Yeah. So, so you said that twice, actually, you said that people, some were there for you. And you, and you mentioned, you know, people don't always have the words. So, so I have a two-part question. One, are there words? And two, uh, you know, people are listening going, well, so what do you do? So how were they there for you besides showing up at the funeral? 
Yeah, well, they were there for, I mean, look, people came out of the woodwork. I would say that some of the best experience I had, um, experiences I had were with people who were maybe acquaintances who I knew through friends or colleagues who heard about what had happened with my mom or heard about what happened with my dad and told our mutual acquaintance, hey, you know, I lost my dad when I was 16. Do you, can I have her email address? I'd like to reach out to her. Some of my closest friends to this day, years after my parents' death, are people who came out of the woodwork for me, are people who I wasn't even necessarily great friends with when I was 30, which is, you know, probably after you make a good majority of your best friends in life. Um, and it's because this type of shared universal experience really cracks people open and it can make you, you know, very empathic. It really can connect you deeply with another person. It's just that sometimes, unfortunately, it's it's because you went through it <laughs> and you're able to connect. I think some other people, you just have to be so inherently empathic that you're not scared to have a conversation that seems uncomfortable or seems scary. Um, I think some of the best things that were said to me were kind of what I mentioned earlier, just talking about reaching out to me and expressing how upset they were for me and with me, how unfair it was, um, how, you know, they didn't know what to say, but they wanted to do something and they wanted me to know that they were there that they were there, that they were, would come over, they would sit with me, they would take me out for a strong drink, they would, you know, distract me when I needed to be distracted, and made it clear that they were going to keep checking in on me, even if I didn't respond to them. And that's a tool that I've used now with a lot of my friends who have gone through this, because as we all know, loss is a universal experience, we're all going to go through it. Some of us are just going to experience it earlier than others. So I think that the most important I, just the best thing that people did for me was just making it clear that they were there and also admitting that they didn't know what to do or say, because that just really, none of us know what to do or say, right? I mean, I think right. that it's just, I, I, I think that there's a certain script you can follow, I guess, um, but it feels more like there's certain scripts that you should not follow. And <laughs> right. She's she's in a better place. I right. That, you know, you can always revert to active listening. Ask questions. Ask questions about the person. Ask questions about their memories. Mention their name, their loved one's name. They're, you know, I don't get to say my mom's name that often these days. Her name is Shelby. And I love her name, but I don't get to say it that frequently. Who am I talking to on a daily basis? It means the world when someone emails me or texts me and says, you know, I totally thought of Shelby the other day. It makes me so happy that people are willing to talk about it and realize that they're not going to upset me <laughs> by mentioning her name. You're not going to upset somebody by mentioning their loved one. Yeah, there, there's a real fear, I think, that people have about mentioning the name of the deceased. <laughs> it's not like you forgot. Oh, yeah, right. My my mother died or my dad died. Right. I forgot. Oh, I was in the middle of this manicure and I forgot. Right. And now you reminded me. No, I mean, I just think that I, I really believe that it's really easy to be supportive of somebody. I think there are very easy steps 
folks want questions, you know, saying their name, making Google like G- calendar reminders for maybe the day the person died or the person's birthday or Mother's Day or Father's Day or what have you, a holiday season to check in on them. Because the most support you can really give is over the long term after the casseroles have been eaten, you know, and 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 everybody goes and the sympathy cards have been sent. It's really over the long term. And I totally agree with you that in terms of the scripts of what not to say, the at least use or they're in a better places or, you know, God needed another angel. I mean, even for somebody who's religious, I don't think I know a lot of people who ascribe to many religions and I am a very proud Jew, but I certainly did not need to hear (laughs) that God needed another angel. I mean, my mom was like 63 years old. She was perfectly healthy. That did not help me. I needed someone to be angry with me. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So I was going to ask you about about religion. I, I get the sense that it wasn't a huge support. Let, let me just give you a quick um, story from, from my dad's dying. This was a few years ago. And like I said, he was 89. But one of the rabbis came over and we had many who came to visit because my sister, you know, he died where my, the rest of my family lives, not here in Tennessee. And my sister is a very big player in the Jewish world there. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. So we had a lot of rabbis and one of them came and he started out, I thought, very intelligently. And he said, you know, I don't know what you're going through. He was quite young and I don't know what you're going through. And I, I don't want to presume to, to, to offer prayers that don't make sense. But you're Jewish and I'm Jewish and all Jews care about Jerusalem. So let's pray for Jerusalem. And I was thinking, are you... <laughs> yeah, really. Are you mad? I mean, our dad just died, and now you want us to pray for the welfare of Jerusalem. I mean, it was it was a script. I mean, he had a thing that was that was what he was going to say, but it was absolutely meaningless. As was much, even though you know I'm a rabbi and I've I've taught the Jewish rituals around dying, death, and bereavement, and I've you know say the normal things. Oh, it's very intelligent, psychologically sophisticated. It was by and large a, a complete waste of time. And I didn't really find it helpful at all. So I'm wondering what your experience was. Did religion or your or a spiritual practice help you at all? Yeah, I mean, I first of all, I absolutely am so sorry that that happened. I if, if someone had at, at the shiva for my mother said, you know, let's play pray for Jerusalem, <laughs> I would have had some choice words for them. <laughs> You know, I really like Jerusalem. I've been there a lot. I got engaged in Israel on a beach. You know, I love being Jewish, but I don't automatically, you know, I'm a cultural Jew. I'm a spiritual Jew. Um, My kid goes to a Jewish preschool, but I take what resonates with me and I very much feel comfortable not taking what doesn't. Um, I'm kind of like a spiritual omnivore. If there's something from Buddhism that, you know, really appeals to me, I will, I will listen to it. I will read that. I will absorb it. Judaism, any, any, any sort of religion or spiritual practice. Um, I, I, you know, I actually was helped by, by my 
own religion that I was raised with. Um, but it wasn't in a very strict religious way. It was kind of in a counterintuitive way. Um, so I followed all the steps that I thought I was supposed to follow when my mom died. I did the funeral. I did the shiva. I did the unveiling, which for listeners is that, you know, point that, that mark around a year after the death where you go to the cemetery and you unveil the marker or the tombstone. And that is supposed to usher you into another phase of mourning, which I think theoretically is supposed to be a little bit lighter than the first year. Um, but my experience was that the year two was exponentially worse than year one because I lost my mom really suddenly. She died in a car accident. So I was in shock for a really long time. I, okay. you know, had PTSD. I was having nightmares. It was not, you know, it was a hard year. And so it was months before I could even listen to music because it was just too much stimulation for me. Um, you know, I just, I just didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. It, um, it kind of hurt my brain, you know? So year two was when I started kind of feeling again, which is, I guess, great, but you know, there was a lot of pain in those feelings. And so I was kind of like, well, why did I do this? Why did I do this unveiling? Why did you, why am I forcing myself to, you know, organize all these things? Because keep in mind, I'm an only child. So I was really trying to help my dad. Um, and then, you know, I just didn't get much out of it. When my right. father passed away a few years later, um, I had had tickets to go to India for uh, almost a year. I had just gotten married when my dad died. I'd been married just about a year. And my, my parents were, you know, I'm from Philadelphia. They were living in Philadelphia. My dad was living in Philly. I was still living in New York where I still am. And so we were in Philadelphia. My husband and I were there and we, he died December 17th. We were supposed to leave on, I think like the 21st or 23rd or no, no, the 24th for India. And I, at his shiva, day one of the shiva, it was like December, I don't even know, 20th, 21st. I said to the rabbi, they're my parents' rabbi, who was, you know, reform rabbi. I said, you know, I guess I'm just going to cancel the tickets because I'm not going to go anywhere because of shiva. I'd be missing all the days. And he said, no, you, you need to get out of here. And I was like, why, you know, shouldn't I like adhere to this? And he's like, no, <laughs> you really need to get out of here. I don't think it's going to do you any good to sit around. It's the holiday time. It's winter. You're kind of the only one left. What's the point? And it was so amazing that he kind of gave me that permission because I felt like I was teetering toward more like doing what I thought I should. But I really know that I would not have been comforted by that. And in the end, I did end up, I ended up going to India for two weeks with my husband, you know, less than a week after my dad died. And it's so crazy, but it was the most powerful and the best way to give myself care after <clears throat> that. I, I totally, yeah, I totally understand that. I think you're very lucky to have a rabbi who was that insightful and not rule bound. Um, not rule bound. He, he, he was so not rule bound that when I told him, I think in the same conversation that I was going to go get my wallet and give him my Jew card because I was so pissed about, you know, like losing both my parents. I just didn't want any part of any religion at the moment. He said, you can give it to me, but we'll still have you like <laughs> I'll hold on to it, but you right. still got it. And it was just great to kind of be. So for me, that was a very positive uh, you know, experience with, with my religion, because 
it gave me permission to do what I needed to do for myself. Right. And that was really great. And I will tell you that there is nothing like going to India where nothing made sense to me. Like not even the time <laughs> zone made sense. It was like 10 and a half hours. I know later. it's very you strange. Know? I was like, where am I? It was so great. I was so out of my own head that I didn't really have the time to do a lot of navel gazing. I, I, I recommend it to, to a lot of people actually. Yeah, I, I've been to India several times, four times. I, I teach there periodically, and I, I agree. It's a different world entirely. But, well, I'm looking at the clock. We are running out of time, but I do want you to talk a little bit about the book. So you and Gabby put this together, Modern Loss, Candid Conversation About Grief, Beginner's Welcome. Give us a little sense of what's in the book and We'll have to bring it to a close. Sure. Um, so I'm really proud of this book. We worked on it really hard. Um, I, you know, Gabby and I were nine months pregnant when we launched the Modern Loss website, which is an active online publication um, that's been going for five years. And we spent about two years working on this book, which came out earlier this year. And the book is really a modern guide to grief, but not like as a, in a how-to format but rather essays, cartoons, you know, really witty, illustrated editorials. We have more than 50 pieces in the book. She and I wrote very extensively for it. We each wrote, you know, I think we wrote a combined like 12 pieces, 12 essays for the book and a lot of the cartoons, but we actually have more than 40 contributors. Um, I think spanning five continents, they're from five different continents and they range from people you've heard of, maybe like Amanda Palmer, who's a literal rock star or Lucy Kalanithi, whose husband Paul wrote the book When Breath Becomes Air, which is a gorgeous memoir, um, to Kim Goldman, whose brother Ron was kind of made infamous in the O.J. Simpson case, um, you know, some, a couple decades ago. Uh, and then we have people who just have really compelling voices and stories that need to be heard say from a hairdresser in Worcester, Mass, who wants to write about what it's like to, you know, cut someone's hair and pretend that you have three healthy kids, you know, and chat all day long because that's your job. When in reality, one of them died from opioid addiction. And, you know, so we really try to, you know, all, all, Gabby and I only know our own experiences, which is why we wanted this book to be a collection of a lot of different voices. And we wanted to show all types of loss. We wanted to show not only mother loss and father loss and sibling loss and stillbirth, miscarriage, infant loss, but we also wanted to show different, you know, loss to different of course, different ways, you know, we, we, we take on taboos that are taboo on top of taboo. So we have pieces about AIDS related death or, you know, suicide, um, you know, stillbirth, as I said. So these are pieces that we, you think people shy away from in polite conversation, but they exist. People lose people to these ways and we have to talk about it. And so, so we really wanted to, and we put it front and center. And I will say we do it in a very tongue-in-cheek way sometimes. Like, there's a lot of humor in there, this book. We are not was. sanctimonious. Yeah, we're not, like, sanctimonious about it. Yeah, you know, so there, there was a lot of humor. There was a lot of pathos in the book. But I think you, you I guess I want to highlight something you just said, and then we're going to have to bring it to a close. But this is, people don't want to talk about these things, and the book, in a sense, opens, starts the conversation. So you hit so many different facets of how people experience the death of a loved one that it, it, i mean i'm probably overstating it but there's almost nothing someone could experience that they that your book doesn't tap touch somewhere 
And I think that was, that is the most helpful thing because then people, oh wait, I'm not alone. Someone else is talking about this. Someone else is writing about this. Hopefully people go from the book to modernloss.com and sort of continue the conversation I don't know, live is not exactly the right word, but you get, you get the idea. Yeah. Yeah. We publish multiple times a week. We are like up and running online. We're an active live publication. We consider ourselves very high quality. Both Gabby and I are journalists. Obviously, you know, this isn't like a dumping ground for people to just like dump their, dump their pieces. Everything goes through a a strict editorial process. And the book is really kind of in a way, an extension of the site, but a way for us to delve more deeply into the themes that we've seen bubble up over and over again on the website. And also a way for me and Gabby to go a lot deeper into our own stories because we don't really do that on the site. We really just, we manage it. Um, and yeah, we do, you know, we do hope that this is a conversation starter. We have heard from people who have purchased multiple copies of our book for their relatives because they think their relatives can't talk about this and they they need to find a way to talk to them. And so they bought this book for, you know, for their own siblings because they need to talk about mom's death and no one wants to. You know, this is a book that's it's very colorful. There's a lot of cartoons, there's a lot of humor. The whole point is for it to kind of live out loud, live on your coffee table, not be the book that you shove into a drawer because you're really embarrassed. You don't want somebody to see you reading it. It's really meant to just sit out, be proud, you know, and live out loud. Yeah. How sad to think that someone could be embarrassed about having to deal with death. I mean, that's... A lot of people are. Yeah. Yeah. No, I... I well, I, I understand it, but I mean, it's, it's very sad. But we are going to have to hold it right there. Our guest today was Rebecca Sofer, co-author with Gabrielle Berkner of Modern Loss, Candid Conversation About Grief beginners welcome. You can learn more about her work at modernloss.com, and a profile of Rebecca appears in the November-December issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Rebecca, thanks so much for talking with us on Essential Conversations. Yes, thank you. This has been terrific. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Support for this show comes from the National Wellness Institute, committed to providing the tools, training, and resources to propel your career in wellness. Become a member today at nationalwellness.org. Before we sign off, let me remind you that this year is the 20th anniversary of Spirituality and Health magazine. As part of our celebration, I'm leading an interspiritual tour of the Holy Land. This is part tour, part pilgrimage, as we engage in contemplative practices linked to the various sites we will visit, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, and Baha'i. For more information, please visit us at spiritualityhealth.com backslash holyland hyphen with hyphen Rami. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Please log in to spiritualityhealth.com to subscribe to the magazine in print or digital formats and to download the iTunes app for this podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker, and our program coordinator and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Liz Winter, and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort 
available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.